0: There are only 18 days left in 2023. And the December 13th, 2023 edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement begins with a reminder that there is only about a week to go before the days will begin to have more light. To some, this will bring great comfort. And to others, there may be a lament. Many will not notice either way. I'm Sean Tubbs, capable of imagining multiple points of view. In today's edition, Charlottesville City Council held a four-hour work session last night on the new development code. But have not yet taken a vote. A plan to restrict by-right building heights and entrance corridors is off the table in Charlottesville, but council may require step backs in some buildings. And the Buildings and Grounds Committee at the University of Virginia approves the schematic designs for a new parking garage and road network at the Fontaine Research Park, as well as the Manning Institute for Biotechnology. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of e-bikes that are lent out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out their service at ebikelibraryseville.org. Charlottesville City Council has the legal authority to take an up or down vote on whether to approve the new development code. Now that their public hearing has been held, but they did not do so at last night's meeting. The five elected city councilors immediately went into closed session, which seemed to take City Councilor Brian Pinkston by surprise, as he was handed a motion to read.
1: Certainly. (laughs) off the get-go. That was my instruction. Okay.
0: okay. That was Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook. There were no specific details for the reason Charlottesville City Council went into a closed meeting, but here's what Pinkston said in broad as he invoked section 2.2-377-A-8. For consultation with the city attorney regarding legal matters
2: requiring the provision of legal advice, specifically legal matters related to the proposed zoning ordinance.
0: However, Council ended up taking over 45 minutes, and Snook apologized but said nothing about what he and his colleagues had discussed. The December 13th work session began with a briefing from the city's utilities director on the status of the water and sewer system operated by her department. This was prompted from several speakers at the December 5th public hearing who wanted to know more information about how the city pays for infrastructure. Here's Lauren Hildebrand.
3: We have an asset management program in utilities and it's very data driven. Uh, when we get site, for example, when we get site plans in and things are uploaded to GIS, we actually upload it to this dashboard and so we know based on all the various utilities what the pipe material is, what the size of the pipe is, uh, how, much, how much footage it adds into the total miles of the utility.
0: Hildebrand said wastewater flows are monitored closely and have been since the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality has required Charlottesville to take steps to ensure that stormwater is not getting into sewer pipes.
3: Generally, our sewers, look at what the, the flows are, it's 20 percent or less is in use right now.
0: Hildebrand said major capacity upgrades would be needed when capacity is at 50 percent or higher. The city purchases water production and wastewater treatment from the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority and works with the Albemarle County Service Authority to plan for future capacity. Rates are set to cover both operating costs and debt service for financing for capital projects. These projects are not funded through the General Fund. For more details, you can seek out Hildebrand's presentation. After she was done, Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook had a question.
1: Let's assume for the moment that in the next 25 years, Charlottesville's population increases by, uh, by 20,000 20, people. Mm-hmm. That's what the number we've talked about. Is that going to cause any reason to be concerned about a need to upsize anything in the uh, sewer system?
0: Hildebrand said her department has reviewed the system in advance of the development code.
3: When we looked at it, we thought the existing infrastructure has this, has adequate capacity.
1: And you looked at it with this specific question in mind. I yes,
3: think. I did. When
0: Hildebrand was done, the meeting switched over to deliberations on questions for council that James Fries had. He's the city's director of neighborhood development services.
2: We are at the point of of uh, making some final decisions about uh, moving forward with the ordinance.
0: The first decision wanted was what level of design review that council wants to have in the hands of appointed bodies Rather than by staff.
2: One of the challenges we face is that many of the places that make a lot of sense for the for the purposes of new development to happen also are places where we are we significantly want to see historic preservation. Most most prominently, those is probably downtown itself.
0: Fries said a major goal of the Seville Plans Together initiative is to make rules for development to be a predictable process for the developers and he asked for council's view on proposed restrictions on the power of the Board of Architectural Review which would have the power to compel reduction of height in downtown buildings and maybe require stepbacks in some buildings. Fries suggested giving the BAR additional powers including the ability to restrict height to within 2 stories of the prevailing height for a given site downtown. Here is Sharon Pandak an attorney who is not the city attorney, but has been advising council and the city attorney on the development code.
3: Our goal has been to construct a structure here that is consistent with state law and with the authority that you can give the BR as well as that which the BRA has independently under state code.
0: The development code as written would allow buildings to be a base height of 10 stories downtown with up to 13 stories if affordable housing provisions are met. Snook was ready for some changes to protect the downtown mall.
1: You know, I, I really feel it's important to be able to get the sun down to the street level. And my concern is that if we end up with 100-foot 100 100 buildings directly on the south side of the mall, the, the mall will never see the sun for months at a time.
0: After a long discussion, Council appeared to reach consensus to proceed with what Freese had outlined, with one exception related to step-backs. You can look at the image in the newsletter for all those details. Next up, Freese wanted a final decision on the role of the Entrance Corridor Review Board as it relates to height. The ECR Bay is a different group than the Board of Architectural Review that operates under different rules to different guidelines. Council had floated the idea of restricting by-right heights based on a concern expressed by Mayor Snook on November 29th that there are no required stepbacks. Here is City Councilor Michael Payne. To me, I guess maybe the real relevant policy question for us to decide on is whether, to what extent we want any discretionary processes that remain. Payne said he supports the special exception process that will be part of the Core Neighborhood Overlay District, which is currently designated for portions of Cherry Avenue and Preston Avenue. Payne would like to see that extended to portions of East High Street. He said he does not support restricting height in entrance corridors, as suggested at the November 29th work session. Snook said he still wanted there to be provisions to avoid areas becoming canyons, and said that a suggestion from Fries to have a different standard for the streetscapes in such areas was one step forward for him.
1: Maybe the answer is not to say nothing over CX-5. Maybe the answer is to have some additional streetscape considerations similar to what's being proposed for, for 29 North. Maybe that's the better, the better solution.
0: There was discussion of other map changes as well as council tried to answer the question before them. For instance, the intersection of Long Street, River Road, and East High Street is currently designated as Corridor Mixed Use 8. Payne had suggested that that was not consistent with the Urban Rivanna River Corridor Plan, which is part of the comprehensive plan. Pinkston seemed to agree, especially given the city's recent $5.9 million property purchase of floodplain land along the Rivanna River. It
2: is interesting. We've just bought all this land and
0: right there at the upper quadrant there, we're we're saying you could build a CX-8 um, building there. However, Deputy NDS Director Missy Creasy said the urban Rivanna River corridor plan does not address building height. There appeared to be consensus to change the southeast corner of that intersection to CX3, down from CX8, and to reduce the riverside of East High Street to CX3 all the way up to Mead Avenue. Currently, the draft proposal shows it as CX5. There was also consensus to not have discretionary review of buildings on 5th Street Extended, Fontaine Avenue, and Jefferson Park Avenue. Part of this discussion then went back to 2117 Ivy Road, for which a rezoning has been requested and currently deferred, waiting for council's vote on upcoming Monday. That property is CX-8 under the new development code, but much of the remaining property on that side of the road is owned by the University of Virginia or the UVA Foundation. UVA is not subject to the city's restrictions but Council seemed to no longer want to proceed with limited heights in entrance corridors.
1: I am generally in favor of the goal of trying to reduce the number of discretionary permit processes that we build into everything. And the more I've thought about things over the last couple of weeks, the more I've thought that maybe where we were headed with with anything over a CX-5, uh, requiring some sort of a permit, even in the entrance corridors, even temporarily, maybe wasn't the best solution.
0: A solution suggested by Fries is to require a step back after five stories in the entrance corridors and Snook supported that concept. There was a discussion about whether this should be required as a base or required if the ECRB insisted. Lee Einsweiler of the group Code Studio, which has helped put together the zoning portion of the Seville Plans Together initiative, weighed in.
1: The likely impact of setting it at the fifth story is that you'll get five-story buildings so that they don't have to deal with the challenge of it.
0: Council reached consensus to allow for a range of stepback heights for buildings and entrance corridors. Precise details would be promulgated while the entrance corridor review guidelines are revisited. At tonight's meeting, council will address affordable dwelling provisions, the core residential neighborhood overlay district and the residential neighborhood A district, among other things. Some of those topics began to come up last night, but there's still more of the discussion to go. They meet at 6 p.m., which as of this recording is 154 minutes away. listening to charlottesville community engagement and since the beginning of this newsletter one patreon supporter has dedicated their shout out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem this is perhaps the best time to think about what to do next year and there's no time like now to visit plant northern piedmont natives to learn what you can about what species are specific to your region The partnership has 10 regional campaigns for 10 different ecosystems across Virginia, from the northern Piedmont to the eastern shore. You can take a look at the full map in the newsletter for the campaign for native species where you are in the Commonwealth. You can also download a free copy of their book, Piedmont Native Plants, A Guide for Landscapes and Gardens. One more story today, and it kind of touches on growth and development. There are many areas of this community competing to be the next big center, and one of them is the Fontaine Research Park owned by the University of Virginia. On December 7th, the Buildings and Grounds Committee of the Board of Visitors granted approval of a schematic design for a new parking garage and a new roadway configuration for the research park. That's all in service of the new Manning Institute of Biotechnology that will be constructed at the Fontaine Research Park. Here's Alice Roche, the architect of the University of Virginia.
2: It's just across Fontaine Avenue from West Grounds, adjacent to the 29 bypass with direct access to I-64 and proximate to UVA engineering and the health system.
0: UVA conducted a master plan for Fontaine Research Park in 2018 to prepare it for the future. Rocher said the main idea was to create a series of research neighborhoods and to convert an underused central green into a new roadway.
2: We also knew that we had to make the park accessible to public transit, which currently it is not, and create amenities for food and gathering to help Fontaine feel like a place where one would want to come and stay for the day at least.
0: In all, UVA is aiming for a total build-out of 1.4 million gross square feet at Fontaine. One potential piece of infrastructure is a pedestrian bridge across Fontaine Avenue to allow people to walk or bike from the free park to other parts of UVA grounds. UVA will extend improvements on Fontaine Avenue that are being made as part of a smart scale project that Charlottesville is overseeing. The garage, to be built, is seen as part of UVA's overall transportation infrastructure.
2: The garage will provide parking for the future near-term development of Fontaine, as shown in this master plan. And in the immediate future, will provide intercept parking for health system commuters necessitated by the decanting of the Emmett Ivy garage once the hotel and conference center opens in 2025."
0: The Buildings and Grounds Committee saw the designs in September, and some members requested some changes. Rocher said several were made.
2: So while the plan, access, and number of spaces in the garage has not changed, the team was able to redesign the garage to be much more in keeping with the materials and details of the existing adjacent buildings.
0: This involved adding brick. Buildings and Grounds Committee Chair John Now expressed gratitude to staff in the architect's office for making revisions after the previous review in September.
1: To your credit, you have listened uh, to the suggestions, and I want to personally thank you for the adjustments that have been made in the buildings that the board's going to see here.
0: The parking garage will be built concurrently with the Manning Institute of Biotechnology, which was also before the Buildings and Grounds Committee in September. Some members had notes on the proposed size and massing, as well as the usage of more glass. Adjustments have been made.
2: So the design team, again, took your comments to heart and was able to lower the height of the mechanical penthouse and increase uh, the height of the parapet wall, lessening the visual impact of the roof while not impacting the building's function or, importantly, the overall budget.
0: More brick was added as well. The Buildings and Grounds Committee approved the schematic design. The member of the Board of Visitors, who donated $100 million toward the Institute's creation, had some words to mark the occasion.
2: Our family's very excited about this and all the support that everybody's given. Um, We uh, can't thank everyone enough and we're really looking forward to it.
0: A proposal to rename Alderman Library for former UVA President Edgar Shannon was deferred until March. Here's John now again.
1: I will say that there is still work to address and to complete on this issue.
0: Shannon served as UVA's fourth president from 1959 to 1974. Edwin Alderman was the first UVA president, and a portion of the building will still retain his name under the proposal. I will have one more item from the Buildings and Grounds Committee in a future edition of the newsletter. But right now, we're at the end of number 615. And one obstacle to getting these out on a regular basis is an Aegean stable of communications. And I've had to learn that I cannot respond to everything people write to me. I would like to encourage people to leave a comment in the newsletter so that others can see what you have to say. I'm more likely to respond if everyone can see the conversation. Another obstacle to getting these out is that I am the only person doing it a fact i'd like to change but the concept of buy generation remains fictional at this time but i remain hopeful mostly because there is a steady stream of new paid subscribers today i thanked everyone from november and invoiced ting for our unique sponsorship they want this work to continue and i am grateful for that maybe today's the day that you join in you subscribe If so, Ting will match your initial subscription payment, whether that be at the $5 a month level, the $50 a year level, or the $200 a year level. That's on the level. It's time to get going for 616. As I say this, the next city council meeting begins in 149 minutes. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.